Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Is an unstoppable force. It is growing, it is expanding, it's generative, and nothing can stop it. And we get together every Sunday freed from the perceived need of trying to create some type of spiritual momentum. We get together and join what you are already doing. And so remind us again of the truths that we can discover through the teachings of Jesus about your kingdom and make it more and more alive in our hearts in Jesus' strong name, amen. You may be seated. Happy Independence Day. You know, it's God's, part of God's provision and goodness that we get to worship freely and there was a price to pay for that. And it, that price touched some of us personally, friends and family and loved ones. And this is something that we ought to be thankful for and grateful for. And, um, you know, I've, you hear stories about uh, missionaries who, um, when, you know, someone asks them, how can I pray for you guys and they're like we're praying for you guys the United States so that you experience persecution like we are so that the church will grow and get stronger but that's not the case when I have interacted with people where um, there is real persecution for believers they can't gather publicly like this when I ask them they're like you should thank God for that freedom I wish we had it so um we do thank God, and this is one of the days that we can set aside and reflect on the sacrifices of people we love and the ways that God used that for our good. So, sorry for no bulletins this morning. Um, we didn't have power in the Grimwood House this morning, and the Grimwood House is where the bulletins are printed on Sunday morning, so my bad. Uh, so you're just going to have to have a really good memory or write in the margins of your Bible or write in a journal or something. Today we're going to continue through passages where Jesus is addressing spiritual hypocrisy. I talked about this a couple weeks ago before Pastor Alex's message uh, last week. Um, And if you didn't hear those last two weeks of messages, uh, we have a podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, It's Southside Worcester, I believe. And uh, you can listen to all our our teachings there. Or you can watch them on the video on Facebook. But I started this section of Jesus talking about spiritual hypocrisy a couple weeks ago, and we're going to do the second of the third passages. Long time ago, I was sitting in a a basement of a church in Minneapolis, and I was going through some ministry training. And in the basement of this church, before a service, there were groups of people that would sit around round tables and do a Bible study. And I was around a table with a group of guys, and it became obvious uh, right away that one of the guys had invited his older brother to this Bible study. His older brother was from out of town, and he was really smart. He really knew the Bible. And this younger brother was so excited for everyone to hear 
his older brother's input on scripture. It's a true story. And so we're like, okay, cool. Well, excited to hear what you have to hear. Sounds good. We started talking about this passage, and the older brother was just really quiet. You know, the drama was rising. We were all waiting for him to say something. And eventually he says, brothers, it's shut in me, and I can't hold it back anymore. I'm not kidding. It was something like this. He actually used balm of Gilead. I pray that this might be a balm of Gilead to your soul that this would serve for the edification of the brothers and the saints who are amidst me. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I have a hard time with people like this, God. And he starts just, I mean, he knew enough to be dangerous, and he used it to show off. And after the Bible study, I went up to the younger brother, and I said, hey, man, I just want to thank you for some of the things that you shared. It was helpful. It was good. It was encouraging and I never thought about it that way and he said oh thanks what'd you think about my brother and I was like I was actually more encouraged by what you said when we use spiritual things to show off it use it loses its force it loses its power we're talking today about spiritual hypocrisy it's the worst kind of showing off now, what I shared with you guys is an obvious story. I mean, everybody hears that, and it's, it's a really obvious form of spiritual hypocrisy. But is it possible that I am prone to spiritual hypocrisy too? Is it possible that some of us are prone to spiritual hypocrisy? I had to ask myself questions like that when I was preparing this, because usually when I do, when I prepare a sermon, it turns Toward God turns the table on me first. It's like, before you talk with other people, we got to deal something with you. There's always something, I promise. And if there ever isn't, then the sermon won't have as much force. So I had to get more specific and say, in what ways have I used religion to show off? Because it is much easier to talk about other people's examples, for me at least. But the Bible doesn't let you get away with that. Have you ever, uh, maybe some of your wives have this, or maybe, guys, you've seen this in a hotel. It's like one of those two-way, it's like a mirror, where you look at it, one side of it is just a normal mirror, then you turn it over, and you're like, whoa, I did not need to see pores that big. Like It, it like just magnifies you. I will refuse to look at those things. They're terrifying. I don't know how people can look at that every day. That's kind of what scripture, one of the roles of scripture is to magnify the things inside of you that are broken, that are keeping you from experiencing more of God's goodness. And it's meant to show us our flaws. And the only way, by the way, that frees us and enables us to look at our flaws that carefully and that closely is if we really believe that in Christ we are fully accepted and loved by our Heavenly Father. See, if you're not sure about that, there's no way you can look at your flaws. If you think God might reject you, there's no way you could. You wouldn't want to admit it. If you can't easily, with a sense of humor, admit where we're screwed up, we don't fully understand the gospel yet. Because when you know that someone loves you and will not reject you, they can share some hard things with you. And when you put your faith in Christ and the work that he did on the cross and in the resurrection and in the ascension, you know that the Father is never letting you go, ever. 
So you can look at all the things that are messed up and say, all right, what's the next project? <laughs> and he'll let you know. In what ways have I used religion to show off? Or maybe even getting more specific, I ask this question. Have I ever used the Bible or prayer or any other spiritual discipline to convince myself that I'm better than other people or to convince others that I'm better than them? Oh yeah, our hearts can be pretty twisted sometimes. We can take something as beautiful and relational and intimate as prayer and turn it into something that we use to show off to others. And according to Jesus in this passage, that's a form of hypocrisy. And this particular type of hypocrisy feels a little bit more icky, doesn't it? In today's passage, Jesus addresses the hypocrisy of praying in a way to impress others. Now, this is also a passage where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, which is tricky because the Lord's Prayer is not something that you should attempt to cover in a half an hour. The Lord's Prayer deserves its own series. And so we're not going to be able to go much into the Lord's Prayer, actually. It deserves its own attention. We'll touch on it just a little bit, but we'll probably come back to this at some point and cover it with the attention it deserves. We're going to focus today mainly on Matthew 6, 5 through 8. So you can turn in your scripture, or you can listen, you turn on your phone, uh, and I'm going to start with verse 5. This is Jesus talking, telling us how to live as faithful disciples inside of the kingdom. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Apparently, there were religious people back in the day that um, they loved to go around in public and stand in places where people would be like, wow, look at how religious that person is. Man, they're praying. They're better than I am. Like For some reason, people thought things like that. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't pray in public. Jesus is not addressing the act of public prayer. He's addressing a specific motivation of the person praying. The key word in this passage is that they may be seen by others. It's when you use prayer as a way of showing off to others because we're supposed to pray publicly. That's absolutely supposed to happen. We're supposed to pray in groups. The question we have to ask ourselves as disciples of Jesus is do we ever use prayer in front of others as a means of showing off to others? Now for half the people in this room, this might not even feel relevant. Some of you might be thinking, I don't even really pray on my own, let alone in front of other people. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. In a little while, we will address that. But for now, let's focus on what it looks like for some of us who pray publicly or in front of other people. What are some of the ways that we might use prayer to show off and forfeit the spiritual effects of it? Here's one. Sometimes I wonder if when we organize public prayer events, sometimes I wonder what's the real motivation behind this. Some of those are good. Sometimes praying on the square is good and helpful. And sometimes, depending on the people, I wonder, would this be better if we just got all these people and prayed in private? 
so that we're not forfeiting the effects of it? Is this a form of virtue signaling? A token activity to show that we care about a social justice topic? It's just a question, and I honestly don't know. It depends, I think, on the person. I know personally I've been a part of that, and I've felt very proud as people are walking by, seeing me pray in public. And I don't know why that would ever be something to be proud of, but somehow I was proud of it. Yeah, everybody walking by that Sun Church, look at me praying. God probably likes me better than you. It's okay, you can have this relationship too, but right now I'm in the in and you're in the out. And some people say it's a way for us to identify ourselves as Christians. And I'm like, you need to do that to identify that you're a Christian? If that's the way you identify yourself as a Christian, that might not be enough. The quality of life and love and purity and integrity, those things might be good qualifiers. That's being salt and light. Sometimes those are good. Sometimes they're not helpful. I was at Mongolian Barbecue in Cleveland Heights uh, several years ago with some guys from the youth group and we were leaving and there, were, there was a church that was gathered that was praying for the city and they were confessing all the sins. God, we confess this sin, we confess this sin, we confess this sin. Okay, and people were walking by saying, are they talking about us or are they talking about them? Like, do you struggle with that or is this like you're projecting? What's going on with this? I'm just thinking, good grief, you guys. <laughs> Might be a better way. Now, this is my, this is not scripture, this is me. Because I know myself. I don't think I can trust myself in those ways. What are some other ways that we might use prayer to put ourselves on a pedestal? Have you ever prayed in a way where you're actually using prayer as a way to impress other people with your theology? Oh yeah, I'm guilty of that one. For sure, that is a live issue with me. That's why I put it here. I don't know if there's anybody else in this building that this is for except for me. So you might as overhear, might as well overhear myself talking to myself. Now we ought to learn to let the Bible inform us how we pray. That's why we have pastoral prayer every week. That's why Alex, Pastor Al's in charge of that. Dwayne had a beautiful pastoral prayer that we should all be praying that way. We're learning how to pray scripture. That's a really good, important thing. And it's handled beautifully this morning as it always is every Sunday morning. But there's a difference between doing that, learning how to pray scripture, and giving a sermon in your prayer. And if you've done that, you know what I mean by that. I've done it. And I think this is some of what Jesus might be addressing in verses 7 through 8. Now, this is addressing something culturally uh, with the Gentiles where they prayed in kind of a superstitious way when they repeated certain things that, you know, they're more likely to have whatever deity or force or power hear it and respond to it. But it also applies to this, I think. Listen to what he says in verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He doesn't grade our prayers based on word count. And embellishing our prayers with all sorts of theological speak, Greg, doesn't make them more fruitful. And don't forget that. 
Henry Nouwen, in the book, The Way of the Heart, um, has a wonderful quote, and this is a fantastic book. He says, the crisis of our prayer life is that our mind may be filled with the ideas of God while our heart remains far from him. Sounds like a prophet. Now Jesus gives the solution to this in the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is a very simple, not comprehensive, but a very simple diagram, an outline that God gives us on how to pray well. It starts with, it starts in the right place, like scripture, God. When you're learning systematic theology, you don't start with you, you start with God and then how you relate to God. The Lord's Prayer starts with that. You be glorified. Hallowed be your name. And then it talks about his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Where is the kingdom emerging around me that I might join forces with God to see that it comes more completely? And then it gets into some practical and spiritual needs. Give us food every day, Lord. We're dependent on you, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. I know this is from you. Keep us from evil. Help us to forgive when it's hard. Thank you for forgiving us. It gets into the spiritual and practical needs. It's a simple prayer. The big picture of the Lord's Prayer is meant to remind us we're children. He's the Father. We're dependent. He's the provider. We are creatures. He's the creator. The whole purpose of the Lord's Prayer is to show you that we live on borrowed breath. And apart from him, we wouldn't even have that. It's a daily reminder for ourselves that we are dependent creatures. And it's simple. It's not overly wordy. It gets to the point. It's meant to be highlight different topics that you can pray about, not just to be said with rote memory, although sometimes that is helpful. It's a list of ways that we can talk to God. So what's another way that we can use prayer to show off? What about emotions in prayer? How do you handle your emotions in a non-hypocritical way? Because sometimes praying with great emotion can be forced and done out of pride. And sometimes praying without any emotion can be forced and done out of pride. That's a form of Christian stoicism. We aren't stoics. Stoicism has bled into the church and, and some, especially in a lot of kind of uh, high-end intellectual churches where we, we think that we're supposed to guard against emotion and we think we're supposed to contain it and rise above it. That's st Christian stoicism. That's not the key either. The key is to have your external life manifest what's happening internally. If you are feeling fervent, Pray fervently. If you're feeling passionate, pray passionately. If you're feeling sober and quiet, pray soberly and quietly. And then don't judge the people around you who pray differently. I remember a staff meeting at the last church where I served in Wadsworth and I was feeling particularly self-righteous, which was not uncommon, is not uncommon. And we were praying, we were walking around this room called the MMR, and yeah, we're praying about practical decisions of the church. And I, my pride started to flare up and I was like, oh, I'm gonna show these people how spiritual I am. And I was like, Lord, would you forgive us? I can't believe we're talking about this stuff. There are people going to hell and we're talking about this. 
forgive us. I can't believe this is, so, this is distracting us from the real mission. And people were looking at me like, Grammy, what is your... And I was like, wow, I'm sorry. I, that was really arrogant. I'm sorry for that. I think you guys probably care about people even more than I do. And I just... The false self just came out and I'm sorry. That happens. You re- that happens when you pray sometimes. Jesus is addressing any way that we can use the means of grace to flaunt how spiritual we are. Now, means of grace is a term that's been around for a long time. And if you had bulletins today, you would have the definition of the means of grace. And I'm going to read it to you, doggone it. Means of grace, specific ways that we turn our attention to God in order for him to open our hearts wider to experience more of his presence and goodness in our lives. Okay, let me read it again, and then I'm going to try to say it a little bit more simply, which is hard for me. Okay, means of grace, specific ways that we turn our attention to God in order for him to open our hearts wider to experience more of his presence and goodness in our lives. The means of grace are things you do to, make, to feel more of God's love. It's ways that you intentionally put yourself in the way of his grace. It's prayer. It's reading, reflecting on scripture. It's memorizing scripture. It's participating in Christian community. It's using your spiritual gifts. It's serving others in love. It's drawing near to God in times of suffering. And turning on lights in the middle of a sermon is not good for someone with ADHD. I know we had to do it probably for the video, but I, okay, get refocused. <laughs> all right, these are all means of grace. Thank you, people who take care of us and our people watching online. I love you guys. These are all means of grace. And when we do any of these things with the motivation of showing off to other people or telling them later, I spent three hours in Bible study this morning. I think you forfeit the spiritual good that comes out of that. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 5. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is their reward? The people that pray out loud or in public or in places where people will see them admire. What's, what's their reward? Oh man, look at that person. They're really spiritual. They're praying out loud. That's their reward. What a hollow reward. <laughs> but Jesus is always allowing us to have what we want. And if that's what we want, that's our motivation, then that's what we get, and that's all we get. So if I organize a public prayer meeting for people to see how spiritual I am and how concerned I am with the things that are happening in the world, and that's my purpose, not to actually go to the Father and ask him to change things at a level and in a way that I can participate If it's just for people to see that I care, that's what I'll get. That's all I'll get. People will be like, good job, you care about stuff. If you pray in a way to impress the people around you with how much you know about God, that's what you'll get. That's all you'll get. If you you drum up emotionalism or avoid emotions every time you pray so as to impress others by your spiritual fervency or stoic intellect, then that's what you'll get and that's all you'll get. We're supposed to pray like little kids. And God wants to offer us a far better reward for prayer. And Jesus teaches us here in verse 6 
how to ensure that we are praying with the right motivation. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the few things that the only possible way you will ever be rewarded is if God sees it. You can't possibly have any other motivation for praying privately. None other than God seeing it, which is why it's a really good habit to have. So I said I'd get to people uh, at the, in, earlier in the message, if, if you just never really pray, you don't have a private prayer life, or you, let alone praying out loud in front of others, both of those things we should be doing. And, and there, we'll move towards those things as a church. We'll probably get a, little, a few degrees more intentional each year about that. We're taking our time. We move slow here at Southside. If you've been with us from the beginning, you know that. But we're moving towards that each of us having some type of private and public prayer life, if you want to have a truly impactful, meaningful, fruitful life, and I'm not just talking about going through the motions of life here. I'm talking about a truly rich life where the presence of God is becoming more and more real in your experience of everyday life. There's no better investment than private personal prayer. There's three things I want to invite you to do this morning with this. The first thing I'd invite you to do is decide if you believe that or not. That's a hard question. Because biblically, belief doesn't just entail a series of things that stay up here. Belief actually touches your life, your calendar, your actions, or else it's not really belief. Do you believe that God will reward your private prayer life with more of his power and presence in your life? You have to seriously decide if you believe that or not. And some of you might not, and that's okay. And I'm glad you're here anyways. But you have to decide. This is an individual decision that nobody else can make. Do you believe James 4, 8, that draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God in prayer and he will draw near to you. Do you believe Hebrews eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards people who seek him. There are going to be people in this room that get rewarded by God in a way that will look a lot like his favor and goodness in your life. And not in the material way necessarily. And there's people who don't believe that and won't receive that. We're a mixed bag and we always will be. And that's okay. Everyone's welcome. But you have to decide individually. Do you believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about here? The second thing I'd invite you to do is take a realistic inventory of your current private prayer life. Now, this isn't a shame thing. And as an aside, Christians ought to become acutely aware of and fine-tuned in recognizing the voice of shame. Because it's something that we use on each other 
all the time. Shame is someone accusing, condemning, or guilt-tripping you when you didn't do anything morally wrong. It's a form of manipulation. It's, a, it's, it's all the, um, you know, you should be doing this, or you're supposed to do this. You ought to learn to recognize it for what it is. Um, and when you hear it to say, oh, I see, you're guilting me into something, that's shame. Um, You've disqualified yourself. I don't hear that. I don't play in that sandbox. I don't deal with shame. Satan deals with shame. And he wants us to shame each other. He wants us to tell each other what we should be doing. And we don't hear that. We hear one voice. It's not that one. So this isn't a shame thing, okay? It's an awareness thing. We gain awareness when we take something and make it concrete. And our prayer life is often left in the vague, abstract world, and we, sometimes it helps to make it a little more concrete. So let's pause for a moment. Without shame, there's no condemnation in Christ, okay? Pause for a moment. And in your own head, I want you to really think about and consider how much time did I spend last week in private prayer alone? Nobody else, just me and Jesus. Think about it. Do an honest assessment. Was it five minutes? Was it 30 seconds? Was it zero minutes? Was it two hours? And now imagine how your experience with God and life might be different if you increased your daily private prayer time. Do you really believe Jesus on this one? It's a hard question. The third thing I invite you to do is put regular unrushed private prayer time in your calendar because you guys know this doesn't actually become real until it gets to your calendar. This is the world that we live in. It doesn't become real until it gets to your calendar. And like all spiritual disciplines, like we say around here all the time, and people that admire say this, and I stole it from them, is that we don't try to be heroic with the spiritual disciplines. Again, you're not trying to impress people. You're not even trying to impress God. Just start by putting a place in your calendar. I'm gonna spend five to 10 minutes every morning at this time, alone with God. And maybe the five to 10 minutes is, um, dear Heavenly Father, I don't really feel like talking to you right now, which is Kara and I start prayers that way all the time. God, I'm gonna be honest because you just know me. I, I, I'm not into it. I'm tired, I've only had one cup of coffee. I am just not feeling it, I'm anxious, I mean, there's all sorts of things, you, you know, all right, so you're gonna have to help me pray. Five to 10 minutes. Sometimes when I'm praying in the end, I just, um, I say, I know I didn't really say much today, Lord, but I didn't really have much to say, so I just sat here quietly with you and that was good enough. Start by putting a place in your calendar, five to 10 minutes every day at this time, and see for yourself. Do it long enough that you can actually see if Jesus was right. 
Because your father who sees in secret will reward you. He will. Let's pray. Lord, it does feel a little awkward sometimes when we are learning how to pray privately. I mean, we're sitting in a room and we're talking out loud. At least that's the way my brain has to do it. I can't finish a sentence if it stays in my head, but if I talk out loud, I can finish a sentence. And it feels weird sometimes talking with someone that I cannot see. And yet by faith, we pursue you in that way. And sometimes when we're praying, we do get a sense of your nearness and it is palpable. Your presence, it is good. And sometimes we don't. And yet we go back to the prayer closet day in and day out trusting that as we begin to have these conversations with you, you will begin to unravel the knots in our lives and in our hearts. And your joy and your peace as we release our burdens into your hands through prayer become lighter and lighter. And we become the type of people who don't need to be seen in public praying for others to know that we indeed have been with Jesus that day. Help us by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' strong name we pray now. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.